are listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And now, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your here are your This is a capital. We have a little problem with our entrance and poop, so we may experience some slight turbulence and then explode. I got a bad feeling about this. Walter, put the cow away, would you? What is this place? It's a freak show. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. This is episode 136. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And good evening, I'm Miles P. McLaughlin. And we are back here at the diner. It seems like forever, but it really hasn't been that long since we last recorded an episode. No, it's only been two weeks. But you know what? Uh, we threw out about a gazillion different interviews in those times. So hopefully that you know kept uh, you, our, our dear listeners, uh, oh, yeah. satisfied for a while. Right, right. The Glenn Hellman interview we finally mm-hmm. aired. We, right. Chase Masters and we re-aired the fourth. You know, Keith to Canada. Mm-hmm. That was a fun interview to hear. Uh, it was. Mm-hmm. He's always a fun guy. Oh, yeah. To have have do anything and to see him at the cons. And mm-hmm. he's at has to be at almost every con, he, at least on the East Coast. He definitely tries, yeah. Yeah, he definitely does. Mm-hmm. He definitely does. Well, we're so glad that you're here joining us tonight here at the Sci-Fi Diner. For those of you that are unfamiliar with the diner, we do a couple different shows here. We do – What's really our news and interview show, and then we do a listener feedback show, and then we have another show that we do that's kind of a classic where we kind of re-release an older interview that if you're a new listener, you probably didn't hear, and it kind of gets caught up in some of the stuff that we've done. And then we do a uh, sci-fi rewind show where we kind of rewind a movie that's coming – that's an older movie and we kind of talk about how well it's held out, held up. And our mm-hmm. next one is Total Recall with Jim Arrowwood. That'll be fun. That'll be a good time. Mm-hmm. Good time. So those are some of the shows we do and we're just so glad that you're here joining us. So we ask you to come in, pull up a seat and sit down and we'll try to serve you some good sci-fi tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, I guess we also should mention that Colin is our YouTube guru. He just posted the Chase Masterson interview. Colin is a machine. I mean, um, he has his own podcast that he, that he, he does, Truck News and Views, and he also, you know, he, he he's on other you know podcasts. So, uh, Colin, hats off to you. Yep, yep. He's a busy man, and uh, uh, they're talking deep, deep Space Nine next week. So right, right. So I'm uh, looking forward to that since I'm kind of in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to a little bit about what we're actually uh, watching and into. Why don't we do that in our listener feedback show? Okay. Let's kind of keep this tight, kind of run our ship a little bit tighter tonight if we can. Uh, on the menu tonight, what do we have that we are serving up? Well, uh, we just got off the phone a little while ago with uh, Mr. Dylan Bobby. Uh, he's an independent, independent web series uh, uh, filmmaker. Uh, we, t- we talked to him about a year and a half ago, and we talked to him again about his series pieces. Yeah, so second season of that. Second season. Very good. Uh, we're our trivia question again. Yeah. Uh, well, we have some general sci-fi as well we're going to be touching on. We obviously can't do a podcast without talking about the legendary passing of, I guess, the, Ray, the legendary Braid Bradbury and his passing at the age of 91. Right. So we'll talk about that. 15 fictional spacecrafts we'd like to call home. We'll see if any are not in the list as we wish were there. Mm. And Why Sci-Fi Rocks, an article that appeared in the Philippine, Philippine, I guess it is, Daily Inquirer. Okay. Very and good. what else do we have there? We have some TV news, um, recent uh, Leo Award winners, and uh, Nimoy lets us know what to expect from William Bell in Fringe Season 5. In uh, movie news, we have some Transformer uh, 4 news, uh, Warner Brothers will make more superhero movies, and uh, World War Z news. And in this week in Party of Books, or our Party of Book Reviewer doing We're Alive, mm-hmm. we of course interviewed this young man. What, back in January? Yes. As it, this, this, the new season was starting, and you've kept up with it a little bit better than I have, but we're alive. It's just well done. Oh, it's fantastic. Well done. Um, and how about this week in Star Trek? This week in Star Trek, uh, it's a little older article, but we didn't talk about it last show, but I want to try to stimulate some discussion. Uh, so Michael Dorn pitched a Worf-centric uh, Trek movie, and Lindelof, he was interviewed, I believe, by MTV, talks uh, a little bit about Star Trek too. Very good, very good. And in the Sci-Fi 5 and 5, we'll talk about the top five Star Wars gadgets. Oh, cool. So that is our Sci-Fi 5 and 5. That should uh, round out the show. Yes, it will. It'll make a full show, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Why don't we go ahead and head into the trivia? Okay. 
Well, in uh, this week's last time we talked about in, in trivia, I, I asked name an actor who's seen on Battlestar Galactica, who's played two different characters. And here's a clue: it's not a Cylon. Ooh, and uh, and so. What is the prize if they actually answer this correctly? They will win a autographed uh, print of uh, Mr. Michael Hogan. That's right. Mm-hmm. And they have to include a code word in order to be qualified, right? The, yes, and the code word is DRATUS. Is DRATUS. So make sure if you email it in that you include the code word. Uh, you have uh, you have till the 26th. Mm-hmm. And actually, we'll probably be bumping that up to the 21st, or maybe we'll just release it after that because we aren't going to be actually doing a show the 26th. Mm-hmm. But that's fine. So the 26th, you have till the 26th to get that into us. And right now, you have a good chance of winning a piece of Michael Hogan. We only had a few entries in. Right, I, I, I'm surprised this is this is stumping people. So um, uh, you know, uh, you're, you're really testing uh, people's geek cred. Eh, I made it a little too easy last time, so I gotta. So now you're making it a little bit too hard. Is that what you're saying, Miles? Yeah. Okay. Much very yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's go into our first promo tonight. And you heard us talk about this this podcast, this patio book. In last week's, or the last, uh, I guess the last show's um, patio book review, Tools and Means by John Miro, mm-hmm. is uh, he finally, after finishing the series, put out a promo for it. So we're going to share that promo and maybe hopefully pique your in- interest just a little bit more to go and touch base on John Miro's patio book novel, Tools and Means. And boy, is it good. You can get through the entire book in about first book, because there will be a sequel in about three hours. It's not that long. So here is Tools and Means by John Miro. Meet Tom Brogan, an ordinary guy with a sister in a coma, seeing visions of a mass murderer becoming one himself. And Tom is humanity's best weapon against an invasion we don't even know has begun. Tools and Means by John Miro. Listen to the audiobook via podcast. Or buy the ebook for this and other adventures at servingworlds.com. And we are back. Well, let's get into some general sci-fi. We don't often just talk about general sci-fi, Miles, but mm-hmm. but let's go ahead and bring this in. And we got to talk about Ray Bradbury passing this past week at the age of 91. Wow. Um, so how are you familiar with Ray Bradbury? Uh, I'm trying to – I'm trying to remember – I think I did read one of his books – in college, for uh, a lit, a lit cat, it was a, I, I, should, I say books. I should, it was more of a, one of his short stories. I mean, his he's more known in, in the sci-fi literary world. Yeah, absolutely, mm-hmm. and more known for his short stories. I mean, mm-hmm. I, he has done he has had novels um, like uh, Fahrenheit four fifty one mm-hmm. or The Martian Chronicles, which is really nothing more than a collection of short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, the story that I remember reading growing up was A Sound of Thunder. Um, it's about these people that travel back in time. They step on a butterfly and it changes the future. Oh, okay, cool. Um, which I also saw the movie based on it. The movie wasn't quite as good as a short story, but they never really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes. It's another one of his. and uh, so, uh, But it has had a huge mark on the sci-fi literary world, as right. you said. And uh, so we do kind of mourn his passing. He's kind of one of the greats, part of the golden age of sci-fi. Yeah, and there, there's not many left anymore. So, um, yeah, if any, Harlan Ellison might be the only one. He, probably so. Yeah, he's yeah. still suing people off the surface. Yeah, so, <laughs> that's um, true. A, a lot of you had comments to say about uh, Ray Bradbury, and so I just wanted to share some of them. We typically do listener response back in the listener show, but it seems appropriate as we're talking about it here to talk about it mm-hmm. at this point. Betsy Childs from Farpoint said, it was a sad day. Sad day to see him passing. Timothy Darling said, I met him once just before Something Wicked This Way Comes came out in the theaters. Quite an insightful man. Self-taught in literature in public libraries during the Depression. Amazing. Hmm. So a lot of respect there. Uh, I, I remember reading him in English class, The Illustrated Man. I had an English teacher teach that to me. And Lee Kemp said, one of the great writers of our time. So, so a lot of love going out for Bradbury and Bray Bradbury. We, uh, we will miss you. Oh, yes. We will miss you and the impact that you've had on sci-fi. Well, uh, 
Let's move into the 15 fictional spacecrafts that we'd like to call home. Mm-hmm. So why don't we start, and we'll start with, I guess, number one and just work our way, uh, work our way out from that. And uh, do you want to do the first one, and then I'll do the second one, and we'll go from there. Sure. The first one... Uh, and we don't have to read the whole thing, maybe the opening. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the, it's, it's the ship from the Fifth Element, the uh, cruise ship, the, the Flost in Paradise. Was that what you have as number one? Um, that's what, that's what, oh, that, you're right. I'm looking at the wrong one. Okay. So... So, it's a luxury liner. It's not you know it's um, not much of a battleship, but I mean as as, as luxury liners go, it's it, it is very impressive. Oh, it does kind of looks a little bit like the Titanic. Very good. It do, it does, yeah, it does. So, uh, would you like living in that one? Um, I kind of want a sci-fi ship that you know kind of has some laser guns or something. I else. know you want Eagle Five from Spaceballs <laughs> <laughs> as being your next one. Uh, I don't think so. No, I think I'll, I'll pass on that. No, no. Now, if John Candy was in there, maybe. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, he'd be there to make me laugh. As but. long as it travels at ludicrous speed, that's all I care. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it does. But um, especially, I mean, well, if you look at the inside of it, they're not really uh, neat freaks. All right. And next? The next one is the um, the Heart of Gold and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, that's another one I think I'd pass on. Yeah, I uh, I mean I enjoyed I love the movie, but uh, the ship was was you know it did what it was supposed to. Yep, a number four comes in as Good Morning Hal. You know, two thousand one Space Odyssey. It's Space Station Five in two thousand one Space Odyssey. Which after what happened on that ship, there's no way I'm stepping foot on it. Oh no, <laughs> no, 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 I'm not. I don't care whether we interview Gary Lockwood or not. Right. So. But, however, the next ship on this list, I would definitely w- wouldn't mind living on it, even though it, you know, it may that be old That piece school. of bucket of bolts? There's just something about the Millennium Falcon that just um, I just get a warm feeling about. Yeah, you do get a warm fuzzy. And, hey, anything that can you know, run the Kessel Run in 12 parsecs or less, right? you, you don't want to pass up that ship. Uh, I mean, I just – yeah, I, I've always loved the Millennium Falcon. I've always dreamed – you know, as a little kid, thinking it would be how cool if you have your own Millennium Falcon. Yep. Now, yeah, I guess so. I, that one's probably better than this one. The Sarang Lunar Base in Moon. I did not see Moon, but yeah. a lunar base. I don't necessarily consider that a spacecraft. Do you? No, I don't. Um, so, now this next one, you would have a problem living on. Uh, not at all. Um, <laughs> I, I, as far as the Enterprise D, is still one of my favorite, you know, starships in, in, in science fiction. Um, some can say that that could be, you know, a, a luxury liner too. It was a people called the, the the bridge kind of like a the lobby of a hotel room or something like that because it was just kind of um, just like that. But uh, no, I, I I would be okay with living on the Enterprise D. Yeah. How about living on Sol- the Solaris space station in Solaris? Not even close. Uh, no, I, I did watch that movie and a very creepy movie. Yeah. Again, another space station. I think I I think I would avoid. That's like wanting to live in the you know in the house in that psycho movie. Oh yeah, you know it. This next one, you're getting all the good ones. I would definitely live here. Um, I'm still waiting for my web browser to change. I'll give you a hand. Oh, the Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> yes. Um, you know what? It's not very pretty, and they call it they, they call it the bucket in the show. But still, I, I that's a, that I have a warm feeling about the the, the good old Galactica. Yeah, then Michael Hogan can really chew you out and be be done with it. Yeah, maybe I went when he, after he sent me to the brig. Yeah, yeah. This one I definitely would like to live on, um, assuming that Darth Vader wasn't at the helm, right? The executor, uh, Star Destroyer, and Star Wars: The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, if Darth Vader was commanding that ship, I, I wouldn't want to be on there. I mean, if I screwed up, I mean, he's not very uh, forgiving. But it is a beautiful ship. It's a fantastic looking ship. Yeah, you, you just can't you just can't beat that. Mm-hmm. How about number twelve? What came in at number twelve for you? The uh, mobile inf- infantry station and Starship Troopers. Yeah, that ship's not too bad. I, it's not one that I would necessarily gravitate toward. Yeah, me neither. I mean, um, it, it it served its purpose, but it didn't really jump out at me. Uh, how about the Axiom Station in Wally? Well, you know what that 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 was a very impressive place. It just if uh, I want to go on like a luxury vacation, mm-hmm. 
this is where I go. If I want to go, if I want a vacation, yeah, exactly. This 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 place is nice. Yeah, as long as Wally's not up there destroying everything. <laughs> no, you know. And, right. Now, yeah. the, now you might you'll probably like this: um, the Death Star two in Star Wars. Yes. Again, though, uh, before a couple on up, that's for sure. That, that's the only thing with Death Stars is they don't last too long. Our, our executors, for that matter. So, so and, and if the Emperor or Darth Vader is there, again, you don't want one of them for your boss. All right. And uh, the next one? The House Atreides yep. Frigate in Dune. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not, didn't watch any Dune, so I can't. It, it's kind of looking a little um, dated for me, so I probably wouldn't be one, probably wouldn't high on my list of one. No, no. Their last one comes in a Prometheus, and uh, I haven't seen the movie, but it looks nice. The ship does look impressive. Um, yeah. Now, the reality is, of these 15, there are some ships missing. Mm-hmm. What ships are notably missing for you? Uh, well, Serenity. I, mean, I was going to say, that's, come on. I mean, that, I mean, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it may not look like much to look at, but uh, this is the ship that housed, um, you know, Malcolm Reynolds and James. I was going to say, if Malcolm was the captain and, you know, Wash was driving and Kaylee was back there as a mechanic, I'd, I'd ride that thing. I think it would be a fun ship to be on. I think so. I think so. I mean, um, so yeah, my, I would definitely you know wouldn't mind living on the Serenity. And really, you know, we classified. They said the Enterprise D, but there were a bunch of Enterprises you could all obviously oh, yeah. throw into the mix. There were just a sampling of them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, we only got one ship in Star Wars. We just got the you know that one Star Destroyer. Right and, right, and the Death Star. I'm sorry. Right, right. Uh, there's also in Stargate. I mean, there there were ships. There was the Destiny in um, Stargate Universe. Or if you argue that Atlantis itself is a ship, then you yeah. Well, it was a ship. I mean, they and said, then you mm-hmm. you know argue that that would certainly be an awesome ship to be on. Oh, I think it would. Um, and, and also the the um, the ships that came later in the series of SG One, the uh, you know the the the, the Prometheus. And, you know, you want a gold mothership. <laughs> Okay, maybe not. Well, you know what? They were kind of cool. I mean, um, the, the, the ghoul lived it up, so. Uh, what about the Ori ships? You know what? They kind of have this cool medieval feel. They so. do. They do. I kind of, I kind of like it. So, these so some they, they, were, they were cool looking ships, too. Well, listeners, we would love to hear from you. Let us know what ships you would like to be on. You know, maybe you agree with this list. Maybe you don't. Let us know your thoughts. Call in at one 888 508 or drop us a line, an it's a five-hundred podcast at gmail.com. I forgot her email address a little bit. Yeah. Well, in TV news, let's move on to TV news. Mm-hmm. And we got to say congratulations to Ryan Robbins and Christopher Heyerdahl for on Sunday, May 26, 2012, the, at the Leo Awards, they were presented in Vancouver, PA, uh, PA <laughs> BC. Uh, the Leos are presented by the Motion Picture Arts and Science Foundations of British Columbia and celebrate the achievements of the British Columbia film and television industry. This year's Leo's Awards were hosted by past shortleave guest Amanda Tapping and her Sanctuary co-star Robin Dunn. This year's winners include the upcoming Shoreleave 34 guest Ryan Robbins and Shoreleave 31 guest Christopher Heyerdahl, who have recently been working together again in the AMC series Hell on Wheels. Congratulations. Right. Did you see Hell on Wheels? I have not seen Hell on Wheels. Makes me want to watch it. But uh, with both of them on, and I'm sure you know it, it can't be anything but good. Um, yeah. Well, but uh, I would look, say so. Look forward to seeing Ryan Robbins uh, in, in, in the flesh. Yes, in the flesh. In the mm-hmm. flesh. Well, give us take us into our next uh, TV uh, news story. So uh, Nimoy lets us know what to expect from William Bell in Fringe season five. So he's done acting, right? Yeah, he 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 quit. He retired. He, he retired. Right. He's done. Totally that, done. <laughs> that's what's, that's you know that's Nimoy never acting again. Go, go on. Tell us the story. So the character of William Bell has come a long way in four seasons of Fox's Fringe. And acting legend Leonard Nimoy says his latest persona probably isn't quite finished yet. So what can we expect from the maddest scientist of all in the show's fifth and final season? Nimoy said he was intrigued by William Bell's story arc at the end of season four, which enticed him to come back for a surprising and awesome cameo. Yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> as the puppet master behind the season's Big Bad. It was explained to me that we're opening up a whole new world, and William Bell is being recreated as something else. He's, he's in another universe and has taken on other characteristics. 
there were challenges in the, in the character uh, itself that were attractive to me. I could play aspects that I haven't played in a long time, so it was very welcoming to me. If J.J. Abrams' plan for William Bell is exciting for Season 5, Nimoy said he would uh, definitely consider coming back for the final year, just, as long, just to see how things evolve for the less uh, rational version of Bell. It'll depend on what they have in mind for the character. There are a lot of issues that have to be dealt with, but we'll be talking, he said. The William Bell character started as a very intelligent and rational character. I think he'll be very, very intelligent, but I'm not quite so sure he's quite a rational, he's, he's rational anymore. Sound off. Would you like to see Nimoy back in Fringe's final 13 episodes? So I'm going to be, I'm, I'm going to admit it. The title really is kind of deceptive because there's no guaranteeing he's no, going to be back. It's just a tease. It's just a tease. It's a tease. And so the, they ask the question, would we like to see Nimoy back? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a Pope Catholic, right? right. I mean, this is, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a no-brainer. Um, it would be cool to see what they do. And I would I would really, you know, wherever we want to see Fringe go next season, I'd like to see him touch in the future verse a little bit. Yeah, that, that, that one season, the one episode where, oh, I don't know, like 20-plus years into the future. With the, or the Observer Revolution, maybe? Yeah, I, so. Um, but it, it would be great to see Nimoy in, in an episode, maybe see. I mean, they kind they could have wrapped up his story, his storyline last season, but they could bring him back for something. And they don't need to bring him back, but we would like to. And they exactly. do kind of leave some unanswered questions if they don't. Right, right. So we'll see. We'll mm-hmm. see. I wonder, maybe they're filming already. I don't know if they're filming for season Yeah, I'm not 13 episode season or not mm-hmm. yet. But Well, in movie news, Transformers 4 will be Michael Bay's last and will feature redesigned robots and a new cast. Hmm. Well, this is going to be interesting already. Right. Uh, back in February, producer Lorenzo Di Bonaventura confirmed that director Michael Bay, Payne and Gain, would be directing the upcoming fourth installment of the Transformers franchise for Paramount Pictures. The director recently told the LA Times that the fourth film will include some redesign of the robots, an entirely new cast. He also said it will be his last and set the franchise up for the next guy. At the as-yet-untitled Transformers sequel reboot, sequel reboot, is slated to hit theaters June 29th. Again, I would think it's more of a sequel. They're, they're recasting it, but it's not really a reboot. Like, a reboot means they're going to start over. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's looking at that. I don't think – I mean, re- reboot is definitely a, a serious uh, – um, I think sequel's better here. Yeah, I think sequel probably uh, – yeah. Even though it's different cast, you're rebooting the cast if you want to argue that, but that's mm-hmm. about it. You know what? I'll, if, if there's another Transformers movie, there's a good chance I'll see it in the theaters again. I still have to see the third one. So <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that yet. So. I mean, seeing giant robots beat the crap out of each other on a big Come screen on. is just good entertainment. How are they going to redesign them? I mean, I thought they were pretty cool as they were. I think they were too. Well, I think well, they'll also want they'll redesign them so they could sell more toys. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. This is a so this is a plot by Hasbro. Mm-hmm. You know, with Michael Bay to say, okay, how can we? sell the new toys because you don't have oh the 2009 transformer that was so passe right you know, now now well, well you, you have to figure the movie came out in, in 2000 the first one was 2006 so right you know it's um it's been a few years now they could, they could say the, whatever latest model of vehicle um that 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 character is i'll probably you know yeah uh, upgrade to that or whatever so it'll yeah. it'll make um was with G? Yeah, it was G. There were GM vehicles in, in the Transformers movie, so, so maybe they'll be new I don't know, Toyotas. Yeah, <laughs> nah, something like that. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, uh, here's the thing. Uh, besides the fact of selling more toys, he says he's going to set it up. Mm-hmm. So that sounds like they're looking at this franchise continuing. I mean, these movies have always made money. Exactly. I mean, as far as critical claim, it maybe not so much. But as far as money, but you're going to your money away. You know, I'd rather them see do, see them do Voltron. Mm. You know, let's do Voltron. Mm-hmm. I think that would be cool. Anyways, why don't you talk about Warner Brothers? So Warner Brothers pictures to bring more DC Comics heroes to the big screen. Uh, last week, uh, we brought to you the news about uh, Warner Brothers pictures to uh, hiring uh, Will Be All, writers of Gangsta Squad and uh, the fourth uh, – Coming remake of uh, Logan's run to pen the script that'll finally unite the Justice League on screen. And earlier today, we, we told you about Green Lantern co-writer uh, Michael Goldenberg being hired to pen a Wonder Woman script for the studio. Now, Variety reports that the Flash, Aquaman, Green Arrow, 
uh, Lobo and Suicide Squad and, and Shazam are all in the pipeline for the big screen treatment. While we knew definitely that, that The Flash and Lobo would be getting movies at some point, the, re- the rest of the list is either brand new or previously long shot rumors from way back when. Um, uh, along these uh, hero films and decided how to reboot Batman post uh, Christopher Nolan, the folks at DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers are, are also reportedly trying to figure out whether or not to bring back Ryan Reynolds as the Green Lantern in a sequel or reboot the franchise in a completely new way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, again, Green Lantern wasn't terrible for me. I, yeah. I, you know, I, some of these names I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it tells you that I just haven't been in that universe. Like I, I know who the Flash, Aquaman, Green Arrow mm-hmm. is, but, but Lobo, Suicide Squad, and Shazam? I mean, uh, well, I, Captain Marvel. I mean, should, Shazam's Captain Marvel? Shazam. Captain Marvel will say Shazam. Uh, well, I in, in the, Captain Marvel. Is. Yeah, it, it, I don't know why they, they're referring to it as Shazam, but it's really Captain Marvel. Oh, Captain well, Marvel's name, the, the name of the character. And what about the Suicide Squad and Lobo? Uh, Lobo was a adversary of Superman that I know that I'm aware of, and I'm not familiar with Suicide Squad. Okay, well, maybe uh, our listeners can kind of. Uh, Fill us in here if you know who these characters are and would like to see them come to the screen. Let us know. Again, one 888 4343 or email us to sci at Well, Damien Lindelof to rescue Brad Pitt's World War Z. This is a uh, novel that, by the way, this past week in, um, in Parade Magazine, uh, Mr. Malcolm Reynolds himself recommended reading World War Z. Oh, really? So, uh, Interesting. Yep. So, but Brad Pitt, back in January, we told you that Brad Pitt's and Paramount Pictures film adaptation of Max Brooks' novel World War Z has a trilogy and thus a franchise potential. Since then, there have been problems with this production. The film is due for a series of reshoots over a period of several weeks, causing Paramount to push back the premiere from its upcoming holiday season to the summer blockbuster season of 2013. According to THR, Paramount has brought in Damien Lindelof, Prometheus, and Lost to save the film. Lindelof will be reworking on the third act of World War Z with reshoots to begin this fall. World War Z stars Brad Pitt as Jerry Lane, a worker in the United Nations post-war commission who traverses the world in a race against time to stop the zombie pandemic that's toppling armies and governments and threatening to decimate humanity itself. The film also stars... Uh, Muriel Enos from The Killin' as Pritt's character's wife, Daniela Kurtz in her feature b- film debut, James Badsdale from The Departed, and Matthew Fox from Lost. Oh, yeah, main character from Lost. World War Z is directed by Mark Foster. The script was written by Matthew Michael Carnahan, State of Play. So it's slated to hit theaters June 21st, 2013. Hmm. So, again, uh, a movie I'm kind of interested in. I've heard a lot of talk about it. Yeah, I think we, we, we might have mentioned it before. Yeah, here. and I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, another zombie movie. We'd be kind of in the zombies. Oh, yeah. So, very good. Which, uh, very appropriate in our next... Uh, yeah, talking so. about our patio book review. Mm-hmm. Why don't you tell us uh, what we have in Slate for our patio book review. This is a, uh, a patio book that, if you've not checked it out, you're really missing something here. Yeah, it's, it's called We Are Alive, and uh, we had the chance to interview um, the... Uh, Creator and writer Casey Whelan. Yes, um, a couple oh, months ago, and um, it's a very professionally done podcast. It's free on iTunes. It, you know, if you're if if you like zombie, you know, zombie dramas or uh, this this is this this will be right up your alley. They've they've had uh, a full full season one already. So if you haven't heard anything, you have all that to catch up on. And, and they've been working through season two right now. Right, and uh, and let me tell you, we. We, we call this a patio book review. It's really not a book. It's mm. an audio drama, but we kind of throw it in there. It's the same thing. It's storytelling it, yeah. through podcasting. So. Right. It's fully dramatized. He has you know actors you know reading all parts, and it's it's a very professional sounding um, and and very compelling, piece. very compelling story. Right. And you know, I think I was reading an article about zombies, I guess, and um, and about why we're so fascinated with that. We're fascinated not with the zombies themselves. I think it was an article in Walking Dead, but we're, we're 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 interested in how humans deal with how humans retain their humanity in the midst of it. Okay. And I would say that we're alive really does focus that focus right. on how do we rebuild a society? How do we how do we live with the decisions that we make? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, how do we make the hard decisions? Right. I mean, it, and you'll, you'll see that in We're Alive. You'll see humanity at its best and worst um, throughout this series. 
So, yeah. Yep. Um, and absolutely. So, and, and this is something that one of our listeners uh, tuned us on to. So. That was Jason Taylor. So, so it, we, we blame you, Jason. Yeah. I'm not bitter at all. <laughs> all right. So, um, <laughs> let's the, only, the, the only problem is you might get, you know, after you, the episodes are about maybe 15 minutes or so long and you have to wait a week or two for the next one. Right. So, I mean, the worst part about the series is if you get caught up, mm-hmm. that you now have to wait two weeks. That's that. That's so, the bad part. Yeah. yeah developing patience. Come on. Right. <laughs> uh, let's move into this week in Star Trek. All right. So this week in Star Trek, um, Michael Dorn pitching a, a wharf centric Trek um, picture, um, and this was this article came out a couple weeks ago. But I think I want to try to, you know, get you get you all think what, what, what would you think of the idea. So, uh, though J.J. Abrams rebuted the Star Trek franchise, maybe getting all the attention these days, there's still a few other beloved uh, crews drifting around the galaxy. And, and Star Trek Next Generation star Michael Dorn, uh, who played Worf, thinks we're long past due to check back in with everyone's favorite Klingon. Dorn is pitching a Worf-centric, low-budget Trek film that will pick up with Worf uh, captaining a Federation ship. He's writing the script himself and says he's shooting for a darker, edgier take on the tr- traditional next-gen style. He is, uh, he's out there with the, the front lines basically chasing terrorists, Dorn told Trek Movie. I think we all have some of our Star Trek people in, in it, but mostly, uh, but mostly new characters. It'll be the interwoven into the fabric of Star Trek, and also we're, we're going to go through right now. When he asked if he thought his direct-to-DVD idea would be a confusing, considering J.J. Abrams' new take on the franchise, Dorn said he believes his film could, could only help the overall Trek buzz. Who would want to have this kind of thing going on? It's going to help their movie. The fans aren't going, we're going to see this movie, but we aren't going to see that big movie in the theater, he said. Uh, I have a couple meetings I want to do before uh, being with CBS, uh, first with the Rick Berman who produced all our shows, just to see what he thinks. Then my manager, and I know people at Sci-Fi, and I'll start get, gathering uh, information. If anything happens, it's going to be next year because I have a bunch of uh, stuff to do this year. I've already started uh, writing a script, and, and uh, excuse my language, but it's a... Uh, bleep, bleep, bleep. Great. great. Yeah. <laughs> Admittedly, Dorn's idea is still in the early stages, and there's no telling if it even get a green light, but it does sound fairly cool. So what do you think? Yeah. Uh, so what do you think, Miles? <laughs> I think that would be a fantastic idea because we're not getting – as far as live-action Trek goes, um, the, only, the only live-action Trek we're getting is now with the J.J. Abrams movies. You know, one, we have, we've had to wait four years for this, the second one to come out. We'll, we'll get to see it next year. Um, I know there's a lot of good independent Star Trek fan films out there. But there really isn't a lot of live action Trek, and and I think, you know, if Holly, you know, I think Hollywood should have been doing this years ago. Uh, directed either doing some kind of directed DV movies or TV movies. The, it sounds like he's talking with the Sci Fi Channel. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fans want Star Trek, um, and so yeah, bring it on. Well, you know, uh, if he does it, I can imagine him bringing in some of these side characters that we've loved from the Trek franchise at all because they're still in contact with each other. Oh, sure. I mean, so mm-hmm. um, maybe – I mean they've aged. You'd have to play them aged a little bit. But there's no reason why you couldn't bring in uh, – you probably couldn't bring in Data. No. I mean I'm pretty sure you couldn't bring in Brent Spiner. But, but, but you could maybe Will Wheaton or uh, you know, and Frakes or – Yeah. I mean um, – yeah, or there's and there's other secondary, you know, other supporting characters, and you know, in the next. They certainly could bring in or Deep Space Nine or even Voyager. I mean, yeah, if we're talking, it's taking place in the future. There's a lot that you could do with it. The, I mean, it, it's been ten years since um, Star Trek um, Insurrection. No, no, I'm sorry, Nemesis came out. So a lot of time has passed. I think um, it sounds like an f- interesting idea. I, I, I know I. I, I, I see you it. definitely support it. You definitely support it, right? Let's see if we can get him on to talk about it. I would once love it, once it starts getting rolling a little bit. Yeah, he said it. You know, this year he's got he's got other things going on, but um, we'll ha- we'll have to keep our eyes open for this story. See if absolutely see how it develops. I, I hope CBS and the powers that be will will uh, will do this. Well, but, you know, we just mentioned this man a, because he's saving World War Z, apparently. Right. So what's going on with Damien Lindelof and Star Trek? So uh, Star Trek II producer, uh, screenwriter uh, Damien Lindelof talks uh, the difference between Star Trek I and Star Trek II. Um, and I want to thank uh, uh, folks from uh, South Space Communique, Chris and Charity Wood, for uh, 
presenting this. Uh, so Star Trek II producer, screenwriter Damon Lindelof, um, he, he talks to me Star Trek One and Two. Uh, Star Trek Two wrapped production early last month and, and now uh, heading uh, into um, post production and on its eventual release on uh, May seventeenth, twenty thirteen. During publicity rounds for Prometheus, uh, Star Trek Two producer and co-writer Damon Lindelof recently sat down with IGN to uh, talk about the new uh, film and its difference from the J- first JJ movie. What's going on with Star Trek apart from the Star Trek Two apart from the original? Lindelof says, I think the first one was a lot of ways an origin story. It was about how the crew comes together and, and have a love story between uh, how Kirk met Spock, how this emotional guy who thinks only with his heart befriends this logical guy who thinks only with his mind. And the next uh, movie is uh, what it's like now that these people uh, are a crew. Uh, IGN asks, how is Captain Kirk different this time around? Uh, Lindelof says, Kirk is now in the captain's chair for the first time, not having a, a shanghai it. And he has to learn how to manage his responsibilities as a captain with those friendships and relationships that he's formed with these people around him. And I think also we're introducing uh, what is a very cool and nuanced force of antagonism that's a little different from the first movie, which was just uh, uh, a, a, a steaming, rambling ball of rage that needs to be uh, stopped at all costs. And um, this is the last question IGN asks. Uh, so, who is the villain? And Lindelof goes, "Are you insane? I'm not going to tell you that." <laughs> <laughs> so next May, we got to wait till May 17th next year. I know, I know, I know. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, we want to see the crews come together. We want to see how they interact, and now are really forced under pressure to kind of. React. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the first movie we, we you know introduced the characters, how they got together, at least in this reality, and now we could you know. See them tell stories, and you know, see them maybe maybe establish a little now. Mm. Yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for giving us this week in Trek, Miles. My pleasure. This week in Star Trek. Well, it's appropriate that we're going to be playing this next promo. We're going to be playing the promo for uh, for Collins' uh, Trek News and Views. He is now on which um, which group of podcasts? Uh, the uh, Trek Tr- FM. Trek FM, yes. Mm-hmm. He's part of Trek FM, mm-hmm. and so this promo is an update of the promos that he's done. And Miles, know you've been on the sh- his show, and I've called into the show, mm-hmm. and that's about it. Right. So, but uh, make sure if you haven't che- if you're huge into Star Trek and you haven't checked out Colin's podcast yet, make sure you do check it out. Here's a promo for it. Ever thought to yourself, I'd like to listen to a Star Trek podcast. That's different. I'm ready to irradiate your existing brain cells. Oh. How about one with an English host? T.O. Gray Hot. Or a news section? Accessing library computer data. Or one that can help you navigate for the latest Star Trek news. Can anyone remember when we used to be explorers? Well, not quite. But Trek News and Views will bring you the latest news with either review or discussion from a wide variety of co-hosts. Oh my. Don't accept anything less. And you people, you're all... Astronauts on some kind of Star Trek. Trek News and Cues. iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and on the Trek FM website. Other similar podcasts are but to be discouraged. There was a time when you listened to me. When you believed in me. For a moment, you seemed to understand your role, your purpose. You put your faith in me. You killed for me. All the while, following along the plan I had so delicately put into place. I thought we had gotten pretty close, you and I, Jacob. But now... You've strayed away from me. You've forsaken me. You've become a lost piece of that puzzle that I have to put back where it belongs. You have a destiny that even you can't outrun. Tell me, if you plan to go against it all, what can you possibly do? When the whole world crumbles because of you. You pick up the pieces. 
want to save her? Save her? She's dead. She isn't coming back. The reckoning is at hand. Change is in the air. I can feel it. Who told you to kill us? The voice did. Speak up again. The voice. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. I could have stopped them. I could have fixed everything. I killed a man because of that voice! Matt! Ladies and gentlemen, uh, the Sci-Fi Diner podcast has done what it can to bring attention to the many fine sci-fi fantasy independent web series that's available. Last year, we had the opportunity to talk with Mr. Dylan Bobby, creator of the Indie Soap Award-winning Pieces. And tonight, we'll be talking with him again and talk about what's been happening since Pieces has been released. Mr. Bobby, welcome and thank you for taking time to talk with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having uh, me on again. Yeah, it was very cool. Very cool to hear. Uh, you know, it's sometimes when people do these series because they they do require, as you know, an immense amount of time. And uh, depending on, on on how the first season goes, sometimes you'll see them continue, and then sometimes they kind of fade off into oblivion. So it's very cool to see that we have a second se- second season of pieces. Yeah, no, I uh, I think that was one of my worries uh, initially. Was I. Uh, it, be honest we had actually planned it as a uh, a three season uh series but uh, um just because of the time investment and the the money investment and um just trying to make the best product possible um we kind of condensed it down to two and i was still even then a bit worried on can we can we keep this going can i keep my cast around long enough is someone gonna have to go out of town am i gonna lose a main cast member but luckily everything uh, all the pieces kind of fell into place and uh everything worked out Oh, very good. So is – we're talking about season two here. Is season two shot already? Yes. Uh, I think we have one final little thing to shoot. But uh, we uh, in season one, we shot as we as we aired, which was super stressful for us because <laughs> after after an episode of air, we had two weeks to shoot the entire next episode and make, make it to air. I don't even know how we pulled it off. But uh, this second season, the reason there was a one-year gap between seasons is we took the entire year and uh, shot the entire second season before we even aired the first episode. Okay. Well, you have season one on your belt, and, and season two is playing now. When we talked to you last, pieces what was your, your first venture in filmmaking – what are what have you learned along the way in the past year making pieces? Uh, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is uh, everything will never go according to plan. We no matter how hard we try to uh, to plan things to go a certain way or set up shoots the way we want or even from the script phase to to uh, the editing phase. Uh, so many changes had to be made along the way and adjustments, and they're they're stressful in the first season. But by the when the second season came around, you just kind of get used to it, and you just kind of roll with the punches and uh, use them to your advantage, and just you end up coming up with better ideas because you're making these changes. So I think that's the the biggest thing I learned, and probably the the one thing I would pass on to other people is you're going to run into problems and just kind of expect them and, and roll with them. Well, you know, we kind of uh, we've been dancing around a little bit this idea of pieces, but for someone that's just tuning into the Sci-Fi Diner podcast, maybe didn't hear your interview a little over a year ago, uh, can you give us a little bit of a background to what pieces is about? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so pieces is about uh, a man named Jacob Clark. He is uh, sort of your everyday Joe Schmo. Uh, series starts out. And um, he uh, slips in the shower, um, has to be rushed to the hospital, and in um, doing the examination, they actually find, or the uh, x-ray MRI, uh, they actually find that uh, he has a tumor in his brain, and uh, it's cancerous, and he doesn't have uh, very long to live, it seems. And uh, around that time, he starts to hear a voice in his head, um, so he automatically assumes he's hearing this voice as some sort of uh, hallucination side effect of the cancer, but it seems to know a little too much uh, where it's, he starts to question that idea, and uh, he actually starts to listen to it uh, when he probably shouldn't, and it leads him down a really crazy path where he ends up killing the, the brother of a mob boss and has the mob boss now after him, 
And uh, luckily, right before, um, if any, if this might be a little bit of a spoiler, but since we're on the second season, I think it's okay. But uh, <laughs> at the end of the first season, he's able to uh, to get away um, from the the mob boss um, due to the help of a detective named Max Edwards, who is kind of catching on that uh, the world isn't exactly uh, what it seems. He gets deja vu a lot. He seems to. Um, remember doing the same things over and over again and uh, their paths cross and season two is all about uh, figuring out what this voice is and what exactly is uh, going on in the world and what their ultimate destiny is. Awesome. So hey, when we when we talk about this being really sci-fi fantasy, it really is more like the uh, supernatural horror type of aspect of that, kind of thriller-esque. Is that, is that, is that a correct term? Yeah, I'd say um, maybe slightly less horror and more of a, of a mystery thriller, I would say. There's especially with some of the stuff that happens in the second season, there's uh, sort of a lot of uh, questions um, that you're supposed to be asking and you're finally getting answers to them in the second season. But there's uh, tons of the thriller stuff going on with uh, um, the characters involved and whether or not they're going to make it through the end of the series and stuff like that. So. Very cool, very cool. Miles. Uh, you wear a lot of hats in this uh, production. Um, you're, creator, you're, the, you're the creator, writer, producer, and if I'm missing anything, you let me know. Are you still wearing a lot of those hats now, or now, have you been able to have some people help you along the way? Uh, no, I'm still, still balancing all those hats. Uh, I think I have a hand in pretty much everything. I, I, I mean, when it comes to... Uh, um, editing, it's 100% me in post-production. And for the filming, I've been lucky enough to have a couple um, friends of mine, uh, Trevor Christensen, who actually plays Carter McNeil on the show, and then uh, another friend of ours, William, who uh, has been helping out with a couple of our episodes, their input and some of their uh, things they've learned because I never actually took any formal um, filmmaking classes until just during season two this year. So they've been helping me out a lot, teaching me a lot. But I think other than that, I've just been pretty much trying to balance all the rules on this uh, on this series and not let it overwhelm me too much. But I think on anything I work on after pieces, I'm probably going to just take a more behind the behind the scenes role and try to get a couple of people to help me out. Cause it'll probably make things a lot easier on me. So we're going to come back to like where you see yourself going after pieces in a moment. Before we do that, you guys were nominated for some, for some awards recently. You want to tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, sure. Uh, so we actually got nominated for two awards for the uh, third annual Indie Soap Awards, which uh, took place in New York back in February. Uh, Jesse Lang, who plays uh, Max Edwards, was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actor in a Drama Web Series. And I was nominated for uh, Best Writing for a Drama Web Series. So uh, the four of us from the main cast got to uh, go down to New York and we attended the show and got to hear our names called out uh, on the stage and uh, mingle with some of the guys and ger- uh, girls in our categories. And uh, we actually met some people behind the web series uh, out with Dad, which is pretty popular. They're from Toronto, so they were the other Canadians there. So uh, we got to, to talk with them. So it was a re- super cool experience, lots of connections, and it was a really cool atmosphere to be in. So. And that must have been that must have been very fulfilling coming from a uh, a background where you really don't have a lot of training, but suddenly you have a series that's being nominated for awards, and that has to be kind of cool. Oh yeah, I th- I think that we we going there. I, I don't think any of us cared whether or not we won. I think we we just it was amazing to walk down. They had a red carpet set up, and to walk down and have people uh, snap pictures of us for creating a web series uh, just. The, basically just the four of us and uh, doing our best to make it as, as good as we could to be able to be recognized in that way was the ultimate fulfillment, I think, for all of us. So, And you probably got some – the nice thing about that is you probably got a lot, a lot of attention on your project too, I would think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we had people that – um, hadn't watched yet, um, go and watch it afterwards or tell us that they were looking forward to it because they hadn't heard about it or had just heard about it from us being there. So the, uh, the new fans and then um, the current fans now, it just it continues to build. So it's getting us uh, a, at least a bit of a cult fan base, which any, any more than 
uh, even one person beyond the cast and our family watching this, the the series is is a big win for us. So having a couple hundred views on our videos is uh, is is awesome. Like I couldn't really ask for more. So I mean, you think about it. It is kind of the way Miles and I view viewed the podcasting for the longest time that, hey, if we have 50 people that are listening to our podcast, that's 50 people that are choosing to listen to us jabber for about an hour, right? And so if you have, if you have a couple hundred, that's 100 people that have dedicated that amount of time for their life to say, I, I want to invest time to watch it. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's not much of a better feeling than when you work hard on something and even one person you don't know makes a comment or something and tells you that you're doing a good job. That's pretty much all you need to know that, <laughs> that you got something going. So, Awesome, awesome. Now, you, you, you do these, web, these, these webisodes. And when you write them, do you have an idea of saying, okay, this is going to be around a six-minute, seven-minute, this is going to be a 13-minute episode? Are the epi- do the episodes vary in length? I guess that's one question. Secondly, how conscious is the decision to adhere to a certain length of format? Um, so in the first season, I always kind of had a, a, an idea that I wanted each episode to be between 10 and 12 minutes, roughly, give or take, but I, I wasn't too strict on that. And I kind of went by the rule that every page of script would be roughly one minute of of screen time. So I would try to, to write about a 10 to 12 uh, page script. Um, I think one episode went to 13 and then our season, uh, season finale in season one was longer because we had more to tell. But in the second season, as I was writing it, I realized that um, for us to, to tell the story we wanted to in the seven episodes, um, some of them were going to end up longer. So I noticed with some of the scripts that I was pushing 20 pages, I think it was for episode four. And sure enough, it ended up being about a 20 minute episode. So when season two rolled around, I kind of ditched the 10 to 12 minute. And I thought, okay, whatever, whatever amount of time I need to tell the story that I want to tell is what I'll use. And so I think every episode is, we got one that's 15, one that's 12, one that's 13, one that's 20. So uh, I, I don't really have too strict Luckily, I'm not on on TV where they're telling me I have to have a, <laughs> a 40 minute episode or something. I kind of have my own freedom there, so I just whatever whatever comes out in the end is what is what I roll with. I don't really make any cuts to for time unless unless there was something I absolutely thought didn't belong. So right, right. Well, obviously, and so you're making you're making it work. You're making the medium work for you, which is cool. So yeah, exactly. Um, so you mentioned what we have two we have, we have, we have two seasons here. Um, Miles, do you want to ask question five? Yeah. Um, do you we, do you think you'll be continuing the series? Um, do you have it all mapped out? Do you have in your mind where where and how the show is going to end? Uh, yeah. So this is this is the final season. So uh, um, okay. uh, right now we've aired f- uh, five episodes. Um, there's two left, and then the this entire series will be wrapped up. Um, I I know how it ends. I think I've known. How it's and I had an idea like right from the very beginning, but I didn't really have anything fleshed out and written, so it was more ideas written down in a notebook. But I think when the first season ended and then I started writing scripts, as when I got the firm, I, I exact scene by scene breakdown of how it ends. So uh, we know how it ends. We actually have filmed how it ends, so it's all set in place. Um, so on July eighth, all people's questions will be answered and uh you'll get the conclusion to the series and uh that will be it for pieces i'll have other things i'm working on past then but uh that will kind of shut the door on the whole uh pieces story for sure very good well that's good you have a clear vision of where the story is going yeah i think that's the i think you can't always have a complete um map because you have to change things as you go and you're you're always going to run into things that are going to change but you it's nice to have that idea so you're always kind of working towards an end goal that you think works for the story well you could be like lost or heroes right you know they just kind of drag it out and go wherever they want Right, yeah, and then and, and tell and tell their fans that they know exactly what they're doing, right? So, right, 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 right. We know right. that that's not true. So, so at least you gave yourself saying there's a definitive end, and then we'll move on to something else. I like that. Um, yeah, exactly. So, so, so you're hinting at you're hinting at some of these other projects that might be down the pike. Uh, any uh, anything you can give us without spoiling it, or is it all under wraps right now? Uh, I guess. Technically, it would be under wraps. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not restricted by anything. Right. But right. Uh, I'm working on. Uh, Maybe just tell us uh, the genre you're working in. 
I'm working on, I guess you'd call it sort of sci-fi but slash horror. This one would actually be clearly a, a horror spin on it. But it's uh, probably going to be another web series, possibly um, also produced as a short film. It could be either one. And I'm working with uh, just being behind the scenes. And I'm working with a bigger team. So I'll have someone for most positions, better equipment, and sort of uh, trying to make something that really raises the bar. Whereas pieces can kind of be seen as something we're really proud of and really kind of got us all uh, the ball rolling, I think, I'm, and I'm hoping that this next project will be something that uh, really kind of elevates us and gets us to a whole nother level, I'm hoping. So I guess we'll see how that goes. Awesome. Did, did Pieces open the doors for this project that you're uh, talking about now? I think I think it definitely did, even just getting us um, a bit of a following to start and the, the knowing that people out there know who we are and know um, – that that we exist, so that when we release something else, they kind of know. Okay, these are for, this is from the guys who did who did pieces. I'll check it out. So we already have at least, even if it's a small base, it's a it's a base there that we'll move on. But even more than that, just the connections I've made with uh, the people in the series and the people who have helped out. I think now I can rely on them, just like they can rely on me for future projects. That I will always be able to have sort of that crew that I need and that I had to find for pieces, I'll already have that established for future projects, which will really help. Well, that, that definitely does help. And that's, are you going to be drawing then on some of the same actor pool? Will these be different actors? Uh, I think that you can expect to see two actors from pieces. Uh, not myself, cause I won't be, I'll just be behind the camera, but two actors that have, uh, appeared on pieces will probably most likely be playing the main characters on the new, uh, project we're working on. Very cool. So tell us, uh, if you want to, you know, tap in and watch the, watch season one and season two, if they didn't watch season one, uh, where can they go to find, um, more about pieces of series and also watch it? Uh, they can go to www.piecestheseries.com and we have links to our YouTube uh, channel with all the videos, our Facebook page, so you can become a fan and uh, see all our updates, our Twitter, uh, pretty much every social medium I think is on there as well as a uh, breakdown of the cast and all the episodes are featured there as well. Awesome. Well, I'm going to tell you, when we did an internet search for you, all we kept getting was Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan, <laughs> which is great. Yeah. But <laughs> I'm, I'm convinced I'm named after Bob Dylan. It's just too much of a coincidence. And my dad's a Bob Dylan fan. So <laughs> I, I always just assume that that's where it came from. <laughs> oh, man. Well, is there anything else you want to share with the Sci-Fi Diner listeners as before we wrap up the interview here? Uh, just that I hope that anyone who hasn't uh, heard of us will check us out. And if there's any other uh, people thinking about uh, creating a web series or aspiring filmmakers or editors or anything like that, uh, this experience has taught me one thing. It's that any idea, as long as you run with it, can at least get you some sort of fulfillment as long as you invest the time into it and uh, and have that sort of motivation to not give up because we – we had very little budget. We had very little time, and we just had people with a passion to work work on it. And we ended up being able to go to New York and hear our names read out. So I think that uh, anything is possible as long as you uh, you stick to your guns and really go after what you want. So awesome, and probably a huge willingness to learn along the way. Exactly, you so, definitely have to learn. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, uh, thank you, Dylan, so much for joining us tonight. about our size of five and five and again before we get started understand that if you have any top five anything you want to share with us you can always call in at 1-888-508-4343 or email us to podcast at gmail.com well our top five things tonight are what are what is considered to be the top five best star wars gadgets that you can own and we all love our gadgets miles oh yes very much so yeah, including that star trek enterprise sitting behind you yes Yes. Um, mm-hmm. well, let's move into this. And uh, why don't I take the odds and you can take the even. So I'll start off. Okay. And, um, and here, this is, comes from an article that was released on uh, stuff, gadgets, gear, and technology appropriately enough. And these are the top five Star Wars gadgets you can own. Their first one is a Lego R2-D2. Now, mind you, this is not just any Lego R2-D2. 
This is the world's favorite droid, now available as a 1,200-piece Lego set. Standing over 12 inches high, R2 features a retractable third leg, an opening front with circular saw, and a computer interface arm inside. Some might call it an overpriced toy, but they deserve to be fed to a ranker. <laughs> and I would agree. My son would love this. Oh, he, oh yeah, he'd do that. He up. would yeah. absolutely love this. Yeah. Uh, well, next on the list is uh, the Scala Electric uh, Death Star Attack. Uh, so forget cars. This micro uh, scale electric uh, set includes a, a 1.64 scale X-wing uh, racing against Darth Vader's Tie Fighter. The track even glows in the dark for that Im- immersive "We're in Space" vibe. Now, this one is definitely a toy, so perhaps we suggest buying it for your own or, or someone else's child, and then forget it to give it to them. <laughs> I would agree. I mean, a racing set. I mean, who doesn't want to race a X-wing and a Tie Fighter together? That looks I mean, like you always fun. did that. Oh yeah. No surprise that this comes in at number three. It's the Hasbro FX lightsaber that you can get for about, oh, it's about 100 bucks. Maybe it's a little bit less now. But mm-hmm. we've all dreamed of owning one. Now you can. Sure, the lightsaber won't cleave a man's arm. Darn. It might give him a small bruise, though. Right. You can display it on your mantelpiece like a trophy, a trophy that says, I value sci-fi collectibles more than genuine interior decor. <laughs> That's a beautiful lightsaber. That's it is. What saying. color would you get? If you chose the color of lightsaber, what would be the color for you, Miles? Um, wow, that's that's a tough one. I know. Uh, Sith the red, red is kind of appealing. The, the red looks – yeah, I think I'm liking the red better than the blue. Yeah. Uh, how about this uh, next one coming in at number four, Miles? At number f- four, we have – if my computer will cooperate. It won't. Um, it is the Star Wars Xbox 360. R2-D2 is back, and this time in the guise of Microsoft's uh, console complete with uh, special uh, bleeping sounds, while the the controller bears a striking resemblance to his gold uh, protocol droid buddy, C-3PO, this uh, 320-gigabyte Xbox uh, 360 is a limited edition issue that uh, comes with uh, uh, Kinect and a copy of the Kinect uh, Star Wars game. Yeah, very cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely there. Coming in at number five is a Star Wars Mimobot flash drive. Probably the cheapest one on the list. Mimico has been uh, uh, Mimico has been selling flash drives resembling Star Wars characters for years, and his collection now includes Lando Calrissian, Wicket, and even the Hoth Wampa Monster. Two gigabyte to sixty-four gigabyte capacities are available. Wow! So you can get a flash drive and plug it in and be staring at your Star Wars character. That'd be cool. So, I'm still up for the Tauntaun sleeping bag. Yeah, I'm, I'm partial to that too. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, these are the top sci fi uh, Star Wars gadgets. So, if there's any that didn't make the list, let us know. We'd be happy to uh, hear what you think should have made the list as far as gadgets go for Star Wars. Okay. So, I still want a full scale replica of Stormtrooper outfit that I can wear. Oh, okay. So, maybe someday. Um, they look, I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to have, but, um, the, they get hot inside from what right, I understand. Right, right, right. Well, you know, out hunting. Okay. <laughs> take, take it hunting with me and like, well, you'll stand out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe that's about it, Miles. We got to wrap up the show here. So thank you so much for joining us tonight. We appreciate that. If you want to find out more about us, you can find out everything that you need to know at the sci-fi diner podcast.com website. And uh, anything else we need to talk about, Miles? No, I think we covered it. Yep, very good. And uh, we hope that you'll join us again. And we look forward to seeing you on our next Sci-Fi Honor podcast. All right. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya.
mic, you open the space with your dark blue hair and your matching face. Make me wanna make ten clones, make you moan, make you groan, get your home, get it with the chromosome. Sip a little something, something, get the move right. Watch about five sunrises at the same time, and we stay high, and we stay fly, and we always see eyes, eyes, eyes. the flights unzip your boots now remove those tights gonna take you on a journey through space and time make you feel color hear color water into wine two tickets for the slow motion ride for two and if you want waves you know what to do this hydro bed is made for you girl we can talk about your problems i'll listen all night i won't try to solve them because you'll always be my monkey and i'll always be your chunky Wow, you've got a lot of problems But it ain't no matter The clatter, the chatter The fat of those heavenly hips It's the sparkle in your eyes Knocking me out with those Martian thighs is crazy break them off something crumb side by side on the beach in the breeze sipping orange with the rum splash 98 degrees if you want another drink all you gotta do is snap and they come drop back got fuckers by the sea baby or we can hit the waves on the jet skis no mile high club 20,000 leagues I'm like a billionaire Jacques Cousteau and now you know it's crop to the soul baby we can stay up all night 